Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. As we move toward October, the first of a few intermittent episodes reminding us of the artistry behind our plant and garden love, the artistry underpinning Mother Nature herself. This week, we're in conversation with fine art photographer Libby Ellis, who sees the fullness of creation in the many faces of the flowers who delight us all. Libby is based on the island now known as Martha's Vineyard, homeland of the Wampanoag people and nation who named the beautiful island Noepe. Monochromatic and often single-focused, Ellis's work lands in my heart in a similar way as a Georgia O'Keeffe painting or a Dorothea Lange portrait all of them capturing the essence of one subject while contributing insight into the workings of life itself. Nature plus the workings of humanity and our perceptions. In the case of Libby Ellis, the focal point includes everyday flowers from cosmos to musk roses, hibiscus to magnolia. And her work has been featured from various locations on Martha's Vineyard, including the Featherstone Center for the Arts and the Carnegie Museum, to London's Saatchi Gallery for the Royal Horticultural Society's 2022 Botanical Art and Photography Exhibit. From the Harvard Divinity School to large-scale projection against a high-rise building in Denver, Colorado. Libby joins us today from her studio in Edgartown, Massachusetts, to share more about her photographic eye and gardener's heart. Libby, I am so pleased to welcome you to Cultivating Place. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. So I'm going to start by having you give your own introduction How do you introduce yourself by your profession, by your passions, and especially how do you introduce yourself as it might relate to the meaning and importance that plants and flowers have in your life, Libby? I am a fine art photographer, and my calling is to create contemplative black and white portraits of flowers. And... Then I want to go back a little bit before we we get into, you know, exactly what all is encompassed in what you just defined as contemplative black and white photographs of flowers, because there, that sounds simple, but it's so rich and there's so much to it. Mm-hmm. Take us back a little first, though. Where were you born and raised and who might be the people or places or plants that grew you into a a woman and a human for whom this combination of contemplativeness, flowers, and fine art would all come together to be your preferred expression of the of the beauty of life, Libby? So I was I feel fortunate that I um was I was born and raised in a small rural community in northern Illinois, and I spent half my childhood there wandering freely with grass underfoot, no barriers to where I could go. Um, it was a pretty safe environment. And um, when I, halfway through my childhood, we moved to Oakland, California, which is, you know, it's a very urban place. Hmm. And that was a different environment. Um, I know now, um, well, let me backtrack. I was 
even at a very young age, I was seeking solitude uh, to the extent of um, out the back door by myself for hours and with no itinerary and no restrictions. And it was somehow understood between my mom and I that, oh yeah, I'll be, I'll be on my dark. And we're talking at a very young age, five, six. And um, one other significant memory that I have is that I was always singing to God or what I called God. And for me, it was a maple tree in the backyard, mm. uh, a pine tree in the front yard, flowers. And they were my closest friends. They were my companions. And I I had human friends mm. and an extended family. But my my true friends, the ones that I got and I felt they got me, was the natural world. And and I I mean, there are many people like me. I I mean, uh, I meet them everywhere I go. You are currently living on Martha's Vineyard. And you you begin your fine art career um, quite a few years ago, but a couple of life events have, um, for better or worse, really molded your your pathway. I would like you to share some of this with listeners, Libby. Take us back maybe um, to when you decided or how you decided that fine art photography was your medium of choice. I grew up in a family, which was common at the time, a family of origin, where there was one family camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is so true. Where we had one family camera. My grandmother had an Instamatic camera that she kept in the top drawer of her dresser, and it would come out only on special occasions, and it would take an entire year for her to to make 24 photographs, a whole roll of film. Mm -hmm. So there was a sacredness about it. Mm -hmm. I would say it wasn't until high school when I had access to a 35 millimeter school camera and was involved with the newspaper and yearbook that I began to, um, I began the relationship with the camera in earnest Mm. that, oh, this, this is a, here's another, I didn't see it so much as a tool, but a companion Uh. way to another means of expression. And once I found that, it I I knew that it was intuitively my way forward in in with art, right? And and was your camera always pointed at flowers or lives in the natural world other than human, or how did you find that specific? focal point, Libby? Uh, So that's such a great question. And I recently was looking at some old photos and there were some photos I took in high school of camellias, right, in California Mm -hmm. and um, azaleas. And And I was just looking at them and I thought, wow, there's no feeling there. It's as if I wasn't really there, but I know I took that photograph. Mm. And so I think what happened is that, so I experimented with um, other subject matter, street photography, and, you know, young, young photographers, young artists, you could go through, you experiment with mediums and subject matter and you find your way. And Mm -hmm. not unlike others I did that and I think that I was I was on this path all along but I really had to clear space so I could see it Mm -hmm. the flowers kept talking to me nature kept talking to me life like life and loss uh I just I needed to clear space and that has been the biggest uh most important practice in my life is making space to receive 
the flowers, the power of the flowers. Can you give us an example of a moment where it became or crystallized for you or became clear for you that this is what you were supposed to be doing and you did need to clear space? I think you've had a couple of kind of seminal moments um, of hardship in which this message became louder and clearer for you. That's true. Um, I have a very sensitive body, which I kind of think I always knew because of my desire for solitude and to, you know, have a tent set up in the backyard where I, as a kid, that I could go and I could meditate. I didn't call it meditation. I was just, you know, looking at the clouds. But um, in my early young, well, young adulthood, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's. And I spent a year, I was living on Martha's Vineyard. I moved back to California and spent a year at Stanford, which was the number one place in the world for Hodgkin's at the time. And I spent a year doing treatment, chemo, and radiation. And I think that was very informative to me in terms of what is it that you want to do and how do you want to do it? Um, I also at that time, because of the exposure to the chemicals in the dark room, the doctor said, no more, no more, <laughs> no more dark rooms. And so for me, that was, that was a separation because, you know, the dark room is it's like a womb, there's fluids, it's dark, it's there's solitude. And um, at that time, digital cameras were not available. Uh, so why, or they were not affordable to the average consumer. So I kind of sat around and waited. And during that time period, I worked in cut paper collage and wrote and illustrated several children's books. Um, I'm not, I, I, many of them have flowers in them though. And that, you know, was delightful for me. Um, but I knew it wasn't the, tr it wasn't the truth. There are so many other fabulous illustrators and I, it just, it wasn't my truth, but it, it, it helped tide me over. And um, I think understanding the fragility of life, the beauty of it, um, the discomfort of thinking there might not be a tomorrow, um, put me back in the hands of nature in a new way. And I was very quiet about it. Um, I, I, I was just reflecting on this last week that when I came out of that period, I, with my work, um, I used photocopy machines to photocopy flowers during that, in the after period. So using the photocopier as a this is before, you know, everyone had a scanner at home. And I would, I would dry flowers and some of them not dry and I would photocopy them. And that was the photograph. And I knew it wasn't sustainable, but again, it was, you know, it was a little step. It was a bridge, but um, this, the early successes that I had with my fine art after that, a Hodgkin's experience, I was very private and worried about the public facing demands. And I kind of retreated. And it took me years to figure out how do I balance the solitude of communing and creating with the flowers? And how do 
And the whole time the flowers are saying, that's fine. We love it that you commune with us. Like right now, I, you know, they're looking at me. I have these beautiful tulips from my little garden. They're looking at me and they're saying, are you kidding me? We are ready for prime time. And <laughs> I, I, I wasn't ready. And, and right. so I really, um, you know, there was, a, we've talked about this before. There was a little bit about, uh, of who am I, you know, have I lived, have I lived long enough to be able to, um, say no this this is this is the flower um and I also I think I was I think I was waiting for a permission slip and what I learned between then and now and you would think having had a cancer diagnosis followed didn't even mention this by a second cancer diagnosis like a couple years later, you would think those would be permission slips enough, right? To say, I'm going to live my life the way I want. I, I, in the end, I'm still me. And that's someone who's thoughtful and, um, you know, I want to, I, I want to, I need to grow into something, not unlike the flower. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Libby Ellis is a fine art photographer based on Martha's Vineyard. Her photographic lens and her gardener's heart is aimed at the faces of flowers we know and love all around us. Monochromatic and often single-focused, they give us insight not only into the flowers, but into the way we see the world. Stay with us. We'll be back for more with Libby. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the rich intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Hey, it's Jennifer. I love the titles of Libby's exhibitions of her photographic work almost as much as the mental and emotional state her images encourage in me. Slow, steady, focused but soft, small but all-encompassing. Titles like Cosmosis or joyful participation in a world of sorrows, and miraculum. Ah, her attention encourages us to use our attention to make more space to see the power of the flowers. I'll take it. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. We're back now to our conversation with Libby Ellis, fine art photographer whose lens is focused in a monochromatic and heartfelt way on the faces and ways of the flowers that delight us. As we come back, Libby shares more about her process and her life path that has led her to this gentle and quiet but very expansive process. Welcome back. I love that description you give. Um, I think it's on your website. Is You describe yourself as like a flower in being an extroverted introvert, that there's this um, this individuality, but it is also, uh, it can be, you know, right out there and sharing and flamboyant and, and communal, uh, and gregarious, but also, and, and there's something about what you are describing right now in this growing into something. And in many cases, mm -hmm. this growing into something has taken the form of portraits of flowers. Now, when you say a black and white portrait of a flower mm -hmm. describe your process and what you mean by that because I think you know I when you hear the word portrait it is an intentional um 
practice, whether it's in painting or in photography or some other form, of representing the essence of someone in a in a visual capacity, right? And talk to us about your process and how you try and create your portraits of flowers in their many different faces and phases. I refer to the work as portraits because as you said, I'm I want to say I'm collaborating yeah, with the yeah. flowers. Right. And my so this is part of the clearing space. It took years to clear space to receive the flowers so that I am empty of myself and my narrative so I can receive them and they can show me their uh, their radiance, um, uh, their, as you said, their essence. I always ask what's essential. And uh, that's different from a still life. Yeah. I I have created still lifes where it's the 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 flowers in a vase, and to me that's the still life because it, mm. there starts to be a narrative yeah. when there's another object in there, but when it's the flower, it's a portrait, and um, I. I feel as if, may I speak freely? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> about this. I mean, uh, uh, I sound a little nutty sometimes when I talk about this, but the truth is I am communing with the flowers. I'm communing with them. Uh, I'm curious about them. And I think that they know it. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so I cleared the space, still clearing the space because life goes on. It's a continuum and rededicate myself every day and say, if, if you choose, may I take your photograph, not take it, but make your, make your photograph. Um, and, uh, there's a way in which I'm a conduit that I just work here. You know, the mm. flowers tell us everything we need to know. I'm not arranging them. I arrange my body around them. And I work only with natural sunlight because the sun has energy. And I want that energy that's, you know, tra traveled far. <laughs> I want that energy in the photograph because I think it makes a difference. And even if, even if um, an experience or of the photograph doesn't know that's what they're experiencing. It's part of the energy. It's part of the portrait. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, uh, there's so much that's unseen in the portrait and in everything, all life, the great mystery, it's in the, the great mystery are in their, they're part of the portrait. This is what the flowers tell me. This is, I mean, yeah. this, this is what they tell me. They show me. Okay, so that yeah. really takes us into the collections because I want to have you <laughs> yeah. describe your different collections and your 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 different explorations of specific kinds or groups of flowers. And as you describe, and maybe start with your very first collection, Libby, describe one or two of the images that that epitomize what you just said about seeing their essence and being able to represent that in the photograph and send it forward about what mm -hmm. the natural light does, because I think you're so right. But we as viewers don't often consciously um, note that energy, but we can feel it. I think you're so right about that. It's all about light, right? And the unseen, I, I, I just, I, I live, <laughs> I live most of my life in the unseen, which sounds kind of funny to say as a photographer. Okay. Um, but 
uh, you know, you're, we're seeing and experiencing on many different levels. So the first collection that I shared publicly in the last five years was at the Carnegie Trust Museum here on the island. And it was in fall of 2020. Uh, and which was during COVID. And it uh, the Carnegie used to be the public library. It was um, a Carnegie library, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, there are many across the country. Beautiful old brick building that was remodeled and now a, a, a Martha's Vineyard Heritage Museum. And there was a jewel box gallery downstairs. And I created a proposal and took over some sample prints. And I have to say that I was, I followed the flowers. There was this, this, yeah, there was this, um, there was a sense that we need, we need, we need this, we the 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 uh and it's not about me it's about the flowers i really i can't uh i i cannot say it enough how it's the flowers it's it's just they're they're moving this forward and so i put together a collection of nine images and the title was joyful participation in a world of sorrows yes precise Oh, and it's, it just, the imagery, it fit. And the gallery space, this little held space, it just, it was like a, um, it was like a treatment. People <laughs> I didn't even know would stop me and say, I, I, and a woman, maybe six months ago, I ran into her and she said, Libby, I didn't go anywhere for two years, but I went to see your show. And it was like a treatment. And I could, I still think about it and I can feel it in my body. And I, I really don't know this woman. And suddenly we were in this very intimate conversation about a really hard time for many for the planet and how healing it was for her to be with these very quiet contemplative black and white images and the black and white for me allows form to come forward so it's not um you know the color color it can be color is gorgeous and it's demanding color has its own demands and so there's a there's a way in which the black and white, again, maybe opens room for the sublime, for space. In these images that you put together for this exhibit, describe some of the particular flowers you chose for that immersive exhibit there. Let's see, we had beach mallow, white, um, Queen Anne's lace. Oh, what an architectural beauty. How, uh, uh, she's amazing. Um, cosmos, because they give me no rest. I am just cosmos crazy. And it's just, they bloom from July till November here. It's, uh, I, I, I feel so grateful. Um, so there were a couple different portraits of cosmos, poppy, peony, tree peony. I'm not using the Latin names. I'm really- No, um, that's good. I, I, uh, I dwell more in the observational realm <laughs> than the scientific realm. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, yes. So, but I, I'm really good at observing and I have the patience for it. And I could say, oh, that's interesting how this did this. And then someone else can take that information and they can synthesize it or they can tell me what it is. But I, I, 
I mostly just want to observe it and be with it. Um, so tree peony, tulip. There's a couple others in there. Um, I'm trying to visualize the gallery, right? But but it was it was a mixed it was a mixed bouquet, right? Which is hard to do. Yeah. Yes, because you want their their weight and their presence to be to be on par with one another so that they don't outshine each other. You know, I, I don't know. I can see where it would be hard. In this exhibit, that first one in 2020, what was the size of each image in general? So I generally work 22 by 22 inches. And I have I have participated in um, some group exhibits where the work is 42 by 42. Mm -hmm. It's a different experience of the work. And then I think uh, as um, I, and then I had the opportunity to participate in a show in Denver this March where one of my pieces was projected on the Daniel Daniels and Fisher Tower. Right. And it was six stories high. Which <laughs> that that it was like Godzilla. Oh my God. It was, I mean, for something that's so intimate, uh, to be projected was such an interesting experience. Of course, I only saw a photograph of it and a video of it. I didn't get to experience it in person, but um I like the 22 by 22 because it feels as if uh, I'm looking in a uh, out a window and into a window. And, uh, and in yeah. a way, that's what yeah. the flowers are. They're a portal. Yes. Right? A portal yes. to, to the self, capital S. Yes. And I want to go on through that portal right now because in your okay. first first Go. exhibit <laughs> yeah. your mixed your yeah. mixed bouquet uh you already focused a little bit on the cosmos because your next exhibit uh really dove deeply into the nature mm -hmm. of cosmos and the the name of this exhibit was cosmosis and tell us about why you went down that path and what that path has meant to you and then the creation of that exhibit in its originating space libby because it's a beautiful story as i said the cosmos continue i you know i'm they're communicating with me even before they bloom i already feel the you know the wave of them they're due to arrive in a couple months i already feel them and so I I was meditating on the cosmos and in my meditation um, I uh, I flashed on this uh, little on someone that I knew who was a, a, a Reverend Shula. He was a very beloved. Uh, person here on the island and before he passed away he bequeathed a handmade chapel that he had built in his backyard to an art center here on the island and it's on a grassy little knoll and it's very sweet it's one room with a stained glass window opposite the door and I had been in that chapel when it was on his property um during Christmas parties, we would sing Christmas carols by candlelight, and he would say a prayer. And so it had special meaning for me. And Featherstone was so grateful to have it. And what I love about this, it's such a vineyard story, is that the guy who moved it, he and his crew, is the master dock builder here. So all these guys who work on the water and build docks, move that chapel like a little boat to its place on, uh, on the Featherstone campus. And it was all a labor of love. And um, anyway, I had this, I just flashed on the chapel and it was as if Reverend Shula said, 
make this chapel a home for the cosmos, even, you know, for whatever matter of time. Mm. And um, mm. so again, I put pen to paper and images to paper and went to Featherstone and said, I, I have this meditation. It's a little far out. And I, I know you've never used it as a gallery space, but what do you think? And, you know, Anne Smith is amazing. She's the director. And she, she said, who, she said, who, 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 she said, well, if Reverend Schuler sent you, you know, and by this time he's passed away, I, you know, so, um, right. And again, that was still during COVID. And so we were all masked and, and again, there were nine images this time, all cosmos and, it was the full life cycle in a cosmos and what's so beautiful about cosmos and it and well uh, is that a single stem can support all stages of life so you have the the um the buds the coming right and the seed heads the going and then the full bloom all on one stem it's 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 amazing um and and the chapel's so precious and um i it was like another treatment that's all uh, just uh i think what i've learned from i learned from that um public uh sharing of the work is that the work is not viewed it's experienced, that it's sensorial. And that's the power of the flower right there and nature, I think, or feel, feel. This is Cultivating Place, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Libby Ellis is a fine art photographer based on Martha's Vineyard. She has long focused her photographic eye and her camera's lens on the intimate and small gestures and ways of the flower faces and the flower parts, the flower relationships all around us. We'll be back for more with Libby. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again. Here are two quotes from our conversation today with Libby Ellis that will be keepers for me to tuck into my journal, to remind myself of an imprint in my mind and mindset as my own permission slips about the importance of this impulse to garden that we share. Here was the first one, quote, I was always singing to God and what I call God. And for me, as a child, it was a maple tree in the backyard. Mm. God, I love that. And it's so true. Whatever or whomever you conceive of as the divine in this world, it meets us right there in our gardens, in our plant relationships. And this quote, the flowers are received and seen in a way that brings us closer to our true nature and to nature. So be it. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. We're back now to our conversation with Libby Ellis, fine art photographer based on Martha's Vineyard. As we come back, Libby is sharing more about her process and her purpose and how, in a moment of physical and emotional upheaval in her own life, she found her way back into her own work and her own calling through focusing on the quietest, the most intimate of details and ways of the plants and flowers around her. She focuses primarily with a monochromatic gaze, 
canceling out the sometimes noisy, if colorful and cheerful, colors of flowers in order to see more about their form and their function and their spiritual place in our lives. As we come back, she shares more. Welcome back. Something about both of these places that these first two exhibits uh, were installed was that ability to be very close to the work. And, and again, that is the way, if we're lucky, we are able to experience flowers, whether it's wildflowers on you know a roadside Ooh. verge or it's in our gardens or it's a gift that someone sent us for for a, a moment of um, celebration or mourning or whatever it might be. And that both the, the sensorial nature, but also that intimacy, that human relational scale or floral relational scale, um, which of course does expand and in is we are able to extrapolate it out to the entire cosmos as you just sort of, you know, indicated. Um, but it's also, it, it reminds us how big we are, but also how small, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that is so beautifully said, Jennifer. And, and also, um, I think for the cosmos in particular, just seeing all stages of life. Yeah. That, that it, it's the continuum. It's, uh, I, I, yeah, I think something you just said made me realize something is that the work seems to be drawn to more intimate um, venues. I mean, I, I have a piece that's in a show opening at the Cape Cod Museum of Art this week, and you know, I'm just hoping it's in the small, <laughs> I don't know exactly where it's going to be. And that's not my choice. I'm not the curator. But, you know, I wonder, oh, will it find its way to this little nookery in the, in the small side gallery? Because it's a pause, you know, I, I, I always, and then I think, no, I, I trust the flowers, the flowers will, if they're listening, this, the portrait will tell them. Just in the same way that the, um, with the um, joyful participation show, you know, the, the, the flowers told me where they wanted to be in relationship to other flowers. And um, there was one that just said, no, no, I'm not participating in this. And I thought, okay, I get it. I get it, you know, okay. Here we go. There, okay, you're out. And, and not begrudgingly, she just, it wasn't, it wasn't her time. It wasn't the right fit. So, um, yeah, there's a, the intimacy. Yeah, if I could, if I could only show work in chapels and churches, I'd be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and there are many, there, there are many museums that are in. Uh, reconfigured churches mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's it's not it's, it's not too far off I mean if I should be so lucky to participate in them and you know bringing this very much full circle from your first answer to my first question and about your um your hearing and feeling the divine in this relationship you have with uh with the flowers uh that you uh are called to to take portraits of, um, you know, and and I know when mm -hmm. I look down your your list of other spaces, whether it's um, you know, the Divinity School at Harvard, it's the Prayer Flower installation at the Old Sculpin Gallery, it's um, the these themes go come to run through your uh, your history over and over again when you when you think about your greatest hopes for why and how you share these images forward with others talk to talk to us about maybe your greatest hopes for how you know for what comes of you sharing it and and also the the physical 
and emotional healing you receive from this relationship uh, these many years? My hope is that the flowers are received in a way that moves us closer, us earthly beings, closer to our true nature and nature. Wherever those venues are, those details, I cannot be controlled. I, I, they will find their way. But that, that would be my hope. And I, I guess I want to say one thing is that uh, I'm not interested in narrative, right? Like there's a million words. I could use a million words. We all, oh my gosh, there's so many beautiful words. Um, the work isn't about narratives. And there's a lot of, um, I've spoken with curators and, um, you know, their, oh, their, their narrative is agents of change. And, and I think, oh yeah, perfect. Flowers are agents of change. And that's not what they hear or see. They're looking for more of a socially, pol social, political activism. And I, it confirms in me that, well, no, nature and flowers are agents of change. They're the real ones. If, if we let them, right? If we connect with them. Is there anything you would like to add about the role of healing and the way the flowers have come to you and helped heal your your physical life, but also um, your purpose, your mission, your passion, your calling, any of that? My, so I, I don't know if I mentioned, I don't think I mentioned this, but I, I only photograph flowers that I meet in the earth. So my relationship starts with them while they're in the ground alive. And there's something about that rootedness. And of course, you know, we could have an entire conversation about how when I clip the stem, I am now, you know, unless there's a giant storm coming, I am bringing them closer to the end of their lives. Um, but there's something about working with flowers that I've grown and that I will see them from planting the bulb or the plant or the seed and communi communicating and communing with them all winter long, making their portrait and then holding them in my studio space until they're dust. And, and to me, it has been very, um, I don't know, it kind of has, lo has loosened my hold on it, uh, loss is natural, right? The body breaks down. Um, uh, every, you know, the great impermanence. And there's a way in which if I see it every day, it, there's a reassurance for me to see it and think, oh, that's, it's beautiful. It, it may not, as a human, it may not always be comfortable, but I'm being shown every day how to live fully, knowing what's coming. And to live fully while we have a chance. That's it. That's it. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been a great pleasure to speak with you, Libby. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Libby Ellis is a fine art photographer living and working in Edgartown, Mass., on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Libby writes, I love kindness in nature and humankind.
I create contemplative black-and-white photographic portraits of flora. My studio practice is wholly intentional and meditative. Like many flowers in the garden, I'm an extroverted introvert, and solitude is my most treasured companion in the realm of curiosity. Libby's work has been featured in group shows at the Saatchi Gallery in London, at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Eric Carle Museum, the Cape Cod Museum of Art, the Carnegie Trust Museum, the Griffin Museum of Photography, the San Francisco Film Foundation, the San Francisco Mission Cultural Center, and other galleries across the U.S. Join us again next week when we dig into a conversation about this garden life. It is a hands-on, hands-dirty, heartful kind of conversation with one of our favorite garden gurus, Joe Gardner, Joe Lample of The Joe Gardner Show and the public television program Growing the Greener World. Joe is committed to this sentence, Growing a Greener World, not only being a title, but being his mission. Join us right here next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doolist Transcription, and communications support from Sheila Stern. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.